Welcome back to the Renown Leadership Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Morris, and today I got another inspiring, amazing guest for y'all. His name is Jeremy Nagel. He's the founder and CEO of Focus Bear. This dude has an incredible story. He's an incredible person. I don't want to drag this out, so uh, let's go ahead and dive face first into it, everybody. Here we go. All right, my renowned fam, welcome back to the Renowned Leadership Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Morris, and today I'm joined by the awesome Jeremy. Uh, help me pronounce this. Is it Nagel? Nagel. Nagel. Okay. Well, I, it was 50 50. It was either Nagel or Nagel. And, and so, yeah, of course, I'm wrong. Whatever. But anyway, Jeremy, go ahead and introduce yourself real quick, man. Sure. I'm a former software developer turned startup founder. I've got ADHD and autism, which has colored my work experience. And I now am working on an app to try and help people with ADHD and autism to be able to cope with the pressures of the workplace. Fantastic. Um, you're actually the second person, second entrepreneur, actually, that I've interviewed that um, has autism. Um, I didn't, you didn't even tell me that part, I don't think. Uh, so, how, how has, um obviously uh from my last uh the last podcast i did uh with the gentleman that had autism he, he was explaining to me that there are um several different levels of autism and, and you would be in the high functioning level is, is that yeah, correct i'm classified as level one where i i don't need that much support but some things in the workplace can be challenging for me that if people are having conversations behind me i find it impossible to work and if there's bright <laughs> lights and too much noise or people try and give me a hug without notice those kind of things aren't great for me but i've generally found coping strategies that work pretty well working from home is one of the main ones <laughs> i totally understand that uh i, I enjoy working from home but do, is there do, do you hate, uh, not society, but like social gathering in particular, or is it, does it need to be in a controlled environment or how, how, how does that look for you? Yeah, I had a, for my day job, we had a, a company mid-year party and I just didn't go because I, I don't necessarily enjoy gatherings where there isn't some kind of purpose to it that I can understand. But I, I really like going to meetups. There's a bit of a stereotype around people with autism having very fixed special interests. So if it's an entrepreneurship meetup or a meetup about effective altruism, I'm happy to go there and I'll hang out for hours. But if it's a, a, a company catch up where the purpose is basically bonding and we're just going to talk about small talk for three hours, that's not fun for me. And I tend to avoid those <laughs> events. I don't, I don't do small talk either. Uh, the, it's incredibly annoying. I don't care what the weather's like in Australia right now. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> so and, uh, like, I don't know if you noticed, like when, when we started, it's like straight to the point, let's go. Like, yeah. you know, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm fine. Here's what's going on. Let's go. Let's get it done. Um, yeah. Totally agree. Small talk is such a waste of time. I was just curious because, um, I, and I'm, I'm going to be perfectly honest. Uh, for a long time, I, I would struggle um, to be around uh, people with special needs. 
it, it just and it just made me uncomfortable right like i don't want to like you said you know the uh ran like if somebody just randomly touched you without warning that, that's and it's like so i i feel like that overwhelming uh sense of i have to be very careful with how i act how i what, what i say and whatnot um do, does that does the does that help people with autism or is that kind of a nuisance like just be yourself and we'll we'll work through it type thing what Talk me through that a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think I want people to treat me with kid gloves or be scared of saying the wrong thing. I, and I'm, I'm generally pretty tolerant and I'm not going to yell at someone if they, they did give me a hug without notice. But it's something that with my close colleagues, I've communicated what works for me in terms of I don't like small talk. I don't like it if people send me messages saying, hi, how are you? And then wait for me to respond before they ask me the real question. And <laughs> I've got a, a document with a bunch of preferences about how I work. And that's been helpful for, for people that work closely with me in terms of just explaining why I might sometimes come across as being rude. It's normally... Right that I'm the one who's potentially offending other people by being super to the point. That's hilarious. I actually like that. I think I'm going to do that too. I don't really need it, but it's like, here, you're working closely with me. Like, these are my pet peeves. Don't do these things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That So um, you, you work uh, heavily. Uh, I know with yourself, and I, I think with others, if I remember what I read about you correctly, in embracing neurodiversity, is that correct? So for the listeners, myself included, because up until this point, um, I really have never heard the term neuro, neurodiversity. Can you explain what that is? Sure. The idea behind neurodiversity is that in society, we have differences and everyone has strengths and weaknesses. And there tend to be people who are called neurotypical, where there are about 80% of the population. And they that's the way that we normally think about people in terms of that they're generally gregarious and they're happy to be, be around other people. And they're the way that you'd normally see people being portrayed on TV and popular culture. And then you've got 10 to 20% of the population who are neurodivergent, where they might have ADHD, autism, dyslexia, dyspraxia, Down syndrome, depression, anxiety. There's a, a bunch of different conditions, about 20 conditions that are considered neurodivergent, which just means different. And the, the idea is that with neurodiversity, that we don't need to see people who are different as being less than that actually in some cases they can perform better in certain circumstances that for example adhd has tended to be more prevalent amongst entre entrepreneurs than the general population because there's really? a lot of creativity and problem solving and a hmm. disdain for corporate bs that <laughs> tends to make people with adhd good, good entrepreneurs and then so amongst statisticians and programmers, autism tends to be more prevalent. And then you've got other cases where people are able to do really well. They tend to have spiky skill sets that someone's who's neurotypical, they tend to be pretty good at everything. 
Whereas say someone with autism, they might be absolutely amazing at being able to do problem solving related to programming, but they might be really, really bad at conflict resolution. And right. if we can find ways to, to put people in roles where they're going to be able to have played play to their strengths and not have to spend too much time on their weaknesses, we actually have a stronger workforce than we would if everyone was just the same. That, that, that is uh, great information. And, and I, I believe, you know, it's the responsibility of every leader, of every organization, of every social construct of everything you know the leader's main job is to identify just what you said identify those strengths and make sure your people are best suited um i get there have been several instances where uh, in my military career and professional career um where you know i i seemingly had a problem person but it ended up they weren't a problem person. They were just doing the wrong thing. And once I got them in the right, wearing the right hat, if you will, uh, the, all those problems subsided and they became a great employee or, and or soldier. So yeah. I, I totally, I totally love uh, that aspect. Uh, and, and the funny thing, like you and I were talking, I, I am also diagnosed with uh, ADHD and um Man, I've had a lot of great mentors along the way helping me learn to control, kind of control it. Um, but more importantly, um, the best mentors I've had in regards to my ADHD taught me to use it uh, hmm. for, for a benefit. And I really find it fascinating what you said, because I never put the two and two together. I absolutely, like I lasted two and a half years in the corporate world mm. and it's like nope i can't do this anymore i'm miserable i hate it i gotta go do my own thing mm. and where i'm in control and where i you know what i mean like i just i couldn't take it so mm. i find it very fascinating that people with adhd tend to be entrepreneurs that's that's awesome mm. Yeah, and it's not a guarantee of success. There are sometimes executive <laughs> functioning challenges with people with ADHD that make it hard for them to have successful businesses. But with right. the right team, like for me, I'm not necessarily that great with details. And if I'm trying to run a business on my own, then it's not going to be successful. But that's why I hire a bookkeeper to help me because I know I'm not going right. to be good at doing my own books and some of the the other administrivia. It's good if I can find people who enjoy doing that stuff. Right. So how did you, how did you embrace your autism and ADHD? Was that a struggle for you growing up? Because you obviously you knew you were different. Um, I'm sure you got teased or picked on in school. I'm mm -hmm. sure it wasn't necessarily always fun growing up. Um, how, how, how was it? What, what did it look like for you when it came to embracing I don't even want to call it um, your issue. I just want, we're going to call it your superpowers for now. Mm -hmm. um, mm. and, and, you know, it's funny too, that now that I say that, because when we look in the comic books, you know, superheroes are always extraordinarily different in some mm. regard, not just their, with their superpowers, but in their, you know, if you look at Batman, he, he's always very withdrawn and, there's always just something different about our comic book superheroes and their personalities. Um, 
so i mean it's fitting that we would call this your your superpower then uh i digress and mm. go back to my original question <laughs> yeah no i agree that some of the idiosyncrasies did lead to me being bullied at high school and i i did find it very hard during the the formative years especially because i didn't actually get diagnosed until later in life i got my autism pre-diagnosis when i was 25 and then oh, wow. confirmed last year with a, a formal diagnosis because there's a bit of a, a barrier in terms of the cost of diagnosis that it, it's quite expensive couple of thousand dollars to get it done but in terms of how I've come to accept it, it it has been very helpful for me having that label even though there's a bit of a danger with labels that it can lead to we were talking before about excuses that I can then start saying oh I'm sorry I have ADHD I'm always going to be late or I have autism I'm always going to be bad at social situations and that's not necessarily true I think it's important that it doesn't become a limiting belief because I I can be on time and I can have social interactions it's just sometimes harder for me than other people but it, what has been really helpful for me is finding specific coping strategies I've, I'm now working with an ADHD coach and I found that really amazing for even little things like packing for trips. I often didn't remember important things like forgetting a towel or forgetting my shoes when I'd go away for holidays and now working with my coach on really mundane things about doing a, a packing list, which you're probably amazing at. I imagine you were very, with your <laughs> army experience, you would have been very good at packing and getting things ready. It's but you know what we have? Learn. You know what we yeah. have in the army? Packing lists. Before yeah. <laughs> every trip, we get issued a packing list. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Which would be helpful. It is. Don't have to rely on your memory. So, I mean, so I, I agree absolutely. Um, and I think that that's a big societal problem right now um, with labels. Like what you were saying is it, we, we allow those labels to turn us into victims of mm. our circumstances. And I don't know. Uh, I mean, maybe it's different in Australia than it is in the U.S., but uh, in the U.S., victims typically don't win, mm. right? Like mm. at, at life in general, that, that, that's kind of the opposite of what a victim is, right? So I refuse to be a victim. I refuse to be, you know, let my circumstances dictate to me what my actions are going to be right like yes I, I it's hard for me to focus a lot of times and just like you i've had to learn skills to help me mitigate it right so uh, i'm trying to work on my website not something i'm good at it's very frustrating for me um and you know i i can do it for about 20 minutes and then i need to take a break you know, take a five, 10 minute break, go look at something on my phone, go play with the dog, something to get, get my mind away from it. And then I can come back and be productive again. If I try to just power through it for hours on end, I'm going to get absolutely nothing done, at least nothing to a good standard done. So yeah. that is perfect advice of learning coping mechanisms building and it is i think it goes further than a coping mechanism it's a skill set it's an acquired skill set that, that you have to learn 
And I think that is probably the most vital and important thing if you have, well, really not even for someone that is neurodivergent, it's anyone, you know, learn those skill sets. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost a a case of what sometimes referred to as metacognitive skills, the way Mm -hmm. we think about our productivity and our thinking. And that's not, not necessarily always something that we got taught in school, but tactics like you're using in terms of almost the Pomodoro technique, it sounds like, of, of working yep. really hard for 20 minutes, taking a break. Yep. I love the petting the dog. That would probably help. I should get myself a dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, um, we, ju- we just got her. She's a, a 12-week-old uh, German Shepherd pup. So she's adorable. Um, her name's Era, E-R-A. Um, she's a great but and and it's great for relieving stress and helping me uh calm my mind um she's great for that i absolutely love it so and and speaking of that you you uh got your own little pet in the form of uh, you created this thing called focus bear um which is an app i believe is that correct yeah, Focus Bear is a, an app to help people with ADHD and autism with focus. So part of what it does is it blocks distractions because I find that if I'm working on something that doesn't really interest me that much, it's very easy for me to get diverted that I might have this thought of, oh, maybe I should go and check the headlines and see if something interesting happened in the news or my phone will ding and I'll be tempted to go check email or check TikTok. And then it just derails the productivity and I don't get things done. So the inspiration for Focus Bear was I wanted to be able to basically hit a button and have my computer and my phone help me to focus. And that's what it does. That If I go onto a news website, it'll block it immediately for me and say, how about we save this until after 5 p.m. when I've got my relaxation block. That during my work day, I don't want to be checking the news. I don't want to be looking at Facebook. I want to be pretty focused on what I need to be doing. <clears throat> and it really helps with that. That is, it also- that is such a good idea. That is such a good idea. How, what kind of, uh, because I mean, I know uh, designing an app is not an easy feat. Um, did you do all the legwork yourself? Do you have a team that is helping you do this? Like, to walk me through the process from conception to getting it launched because it's fully launched right now correct yeah that's right I do have a team I come from a web development background and this is a desktop and mobile app so it wasn't something I could build myself I had ideas about the architecture of it but I hired people who were experts and it's ended up working out pretty well we're up to version 184 of the Mac app lots of iterations, lots of improvements, and I'm sure there'll be more and more versions coming out too. It's, yeah, of course. It's getting better and I'm enjoying working with the team. Uh, that, that, that's so cool. Um, I'm actually in the baby, in the baby stage of developing my, my own coaching app. So that, that's how I know it's not an easy feat because just in, in the, con, in the conceptual stage, it, it's a pain in the butt. So I totally mm. admire that because it's it's a lot of work. Uh, so, how can individuals with ADHD or autism le- leverage um, something like habit stacking techniques 
to enhance their productivity and um, achieve a healthier work-life balance. Yeah, I've found habits and routines really crucial for me personally. There's a fair bit of research supporting the idea that if we meditate and we exercise in the morning, that it has profound improvements on our mood, our health and our productivity. That's especially for people who are neurodivergent, but also everyone, I think meditation and exercise are pretty good things for the brain and the body. Yeah. So that, that's been crucial for me in building those habits. I, it wasn't something that I was doing consistently in the past. And that's part of, again, the inspiration for Focus Bear that I wanted a way of interrupting my pattern of waking up and going straight to emails. So the, the app basically locks my computer until I've done my meditation and gone for my run. That's why Stephen sent me some questions beforehand and I didn't get a chance to look at them because I was out on my run. <laughs> That's awesome. After I've that done is... my morning routine, I'm much better able to, to effectively process emails and do my work. Before that, I, I tend to be very, we call it in Australia, magpie mind. Magpies are these birds that like shiny objects. And <laughs> after I've done my meditation and gone for my run, I end up being a lot more focused and I'm able to pick out the high priority tasks and leave the less important ones for later. I totally understand that. I call it chasing the squirrels mm. uh, <laughs> because like, I can't tell you how, how many days, even though I'm uh, on, in the second story of, of my house, like I can be sitting here working on my computer, look out the window, a squirrel literally runs by the window <laughs> and I'm outside chasing it. Not, not literally, but you know, it, it's, it's just one of those things that it's really hard and you're absolutely right. Exercise for, first of all, if you don't exercise, you're, you're not taking proper, proper care of your body. It doesn't matter if you're neurodivergent or not. Everyone needs that exercise. And I can't tell you the, the impact on running in the morning or exercising hard in the morning. Man, that really, the, those endorphins and all those chemicals that get released while you exercise, they really boost my mood throughout mm. the day. It's hard to have a bad day whenever mm -hmm. whenever you've gotten a good hard workout in the morning in, in the morning uh, mm -hmm. another another key thing that i've learned is water drinking a fair amount of water first thing in the morning yeah i saw you drinking water earlier mm -hmm. yeah drinking water first thing in the morning is critical for a critically good habit um for for boosting your mood and productivity throughout the day um it does a lot of things besides rehydrate you it helps you wake up it helps you uh, recover from your exercise. It helps you, uh, stay focused. It just, you know, so many good, uh, things come from that. So I totally agree with that. Now, um, we, we talked about some of the unique, uh, kind of superpowers of neurodivergent people. I'm kind of interested to know, uh, your unique superpowers. Like what, what, what are, Jeremy's uh, super cool strengths that come from your ADHD and autism. Sure, happy to touch on that. I do want to also go back to talking about habits and how to form them a bit later, but I'll answer this question first. In terms of my particular strengths, it tends to be what's called hyper-focus, where when there's something that interests me, 
I'll just work on that for sometimes 12 hours straight. And that can be a, a massive advantage that I can get things done very quickly, but it can also be a bit problematic in that my wife doesn't really like it when I do that because I don't talk to her for 12 hours straight and it's not <laughs> great for my, my health or my posture. So for me, it's been about how do I channel my hyperfocus so that I'm actually doing it in a sustainable manner and that it's not accidental because that's how it felt to me in the past. And I think to many people with ADHD that sometimes it switches on and we get a lot done very quickly, but other times it feels impossible to even start a task. And so for me, it's been about developing those metacognitive strategies so that I, I can actually flip the switch when I need to. And even if there's something that normally wouldn't interest me, finding ways just by similar to what you were describing with the 20 minute rule of just getting started for 20 minutes and being okay if that's all I do on it. Because as long as there's some forward momentum, it's going to get easier the next day. The biggest challenge for me tends to be if the task is unclear and I don't know how to get started, that's when I tend to put it off. But if I've got a, a clear first step. Now with AI, we can even use tools where you tell chat GPT, I've got this task. I'm not really sure how to get started. Can you give me some ideas? And it will spit out some subtasks for you. And that can really help. Or it, it can be working with other people and asking them for advice. So yeah, superpower number one would be hyperfocus. And number two is creativity that I tend to come up with more ideas than most people. At one of my earlier jobs, they had this employee suggestion box. And most people maybe put in one idea. I put in 50. <laughs> that's the way that I approach things that I, I come up with ideas very frequently. And I'm good at actually capturing them at the point. I, I walk around with a piece of paper and a pen at all times because I otherwise I'm going to forget the idea. And otherwise it tends to dominate my brain. So I'll write it down and then I'll take action on it. All right, everybody. I just want to interrupt the podcast really, really quick and uh, take a minute to tell you all about the brand new renowned coaching system. This is a system I've personally designed and put a lot of thought and effort and love into. It's an amazing system. Let me tell you real quick why it's an amazing system because you get real time analytics. You get to see exactly where you were when you started, where you currently are and how close you are to achieving that ultimate goal that you set at the very beginning. You get analytics for everything. More importantly, the accountability with this system is the best you'll find anyplace else in the world. I get to see everything that's going on and make sure that you are staying accountable to the goals you set. It's, it's truly powerful. You guys just got to see it for yourself. Go to renownedleadership.com. Go to the top right-hand corner, click book a call. You'll get to come talk to me personally, and I will personally give you a tour of this system. It is truly amazing. It's one of a kind, and it's truly, truly powerful. I'm so excited. I can't wait to show you all. That's uh, all I got to say about it. So let's get back to the podcast. <laughs> so I walk around with a notebook literally everywhere I go. Um, mm. I'm you will very rarely catch me without a, a way to write something down. And every time somebody's like, you got a pen and paper handy. <laughs> Don't you like, <laughs> of course I do. So that that's awesome. And that's great advice too, because, um, you know, time, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, uh, you know, that, you know, time stole their idea because they had this great idea and then they didn't, they didn't write it down. They didn't take action on it. And then a year later, they see on TV or something, 
somebody had their idea and, and that person took action on it and it's like well you, you know you should always write it down you should always have a way to like you said capture that idea i love that so go back to the habit stacking thing that you wanted to talk about yeah what i wanted to say is that it can feel quite intimidating the idea for example of starting an exercise habit that if you're not being consistent with it right away it can feel like you need to suddenly begin doing 45 minutes every day and that's i think the trap with new year's resolutions that we prioritize getting to the end state of our exercise habit right away, rather than focusing on consistency. And there's a philosophy called Tiny Habits by a, a Stanford professor, BJ Fogg. And he's done some research into what actually allows people to stick to habits. And he's found that by far the most important thing is consistency. It's not about the duration of the habit. It's about, are you doing it every day? And the way that I have personally adopted that is at the beginning of 2022, I was feeling very squeezed with time. I had, I was selling my last business. I was working a day job. I was dealing with lawyers and accountants and customers across multiple continents. And I didn't really have much time. I was getting very stressed. And in the past, I had been a runner. I used to run 100 mile weeks, for example, but that wasn't, it didn't feel accessible to me anymore. I felt like I didn't have time to do even a 20 minute run. And so I just didn't run at all. And after reading his book, I realized, how about I just go for a five minute run, which seems almost pointless because you don't get much fitness benefits from going for a five minute run. And especially for me where I, I can, even at that point, I could go out for probably a 10 mile run without hurting myself too much but I decided to try it out and did the five minute run every day for a week. And I actually found, I felt pretty good after that. I got some of the endorphins and I started feeling good about myself for actually beginning that habit. And it didn't feel impossible because it, it's not a very large amount of time and not that taxing on the body. And then from there, I just increased it by one minute every week. The next week I did six minutes and gradually boosted it until now I comfortably do half an hour every day. And it, it feels easy both physically <clears throat> and time-wise as well. That it, it, I've almost that... <clears throat> the, sorry, one second. <clears throat> but almost the, the boiling the frog approach where you don't want to crank up the heat all the way immediately. You want to start with a simmer and build it up from there. And that's the same like, approach that I think we should take out. with habits as well. Yeah. That, that, yeah, that's a great idea. Have you ever read the book uh, Atomic Habits by, I think his name is James Clear? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great book too. And many of the concepts from that are derived from tiny, tiny habits. So for example, habit stacking, if you read that chapter, James Clear actually then cites BJ Fogg. So there. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. It's been a while a, since I've read that book. But yeah, I've never read Tiny Habits, so I need, I need to get that. Um, I love Atomic Habits, though. That's one of my favorite books. Um, mm. Atomic Habits and Story Brands. I, I recommend all my clients uh, read those two books, or Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. Um, those are my two we'll go-to books. Have a read of that one. Yeah, Building a Story Brand is um, base, it's a marketing uh, strategy and it's uh, really dives deep into 
how successful marketing campaigns target their audiences. Um, and one of the best examples he uses, in my opinion, is uh, Steve Jobs. His, Steve Jobs' first release for the Mac uh, computer was in a New York Times article, and it was like seven pages long with mm -hmm. all the technical aspects and all that stuff, and it didn't sell anything. Um, later, um, Apple's most successful ad campaign was a billboard with a pic picture and like two words on it. And uh, it was just, you know, super simple. But the, the moral of the story is the second campaign painted it, one, it painted a clear picture. And two, it made the consumer the hero of their story rather than Apple being the hero of the story. Mm -hmm. And so super fascinating. Um, in my opinion, it's very philosophical. I, I love philosophy. Um, it's, and it's, it, it dies real deep into psychological as well, which mm -hmm. I also find very fascinating. So yeah, it's a, it's a great book. I've read it probably seven times now. Um, the only problem with it is it ruins movies because <laughs> every like once you read it, you realize, and he even warns you in the beginning of the book that every single movie ever made follows this script that he's about to share and so when you start watching movies after you read it you're like you you can see how like the, you know the story brand method and you're like oh so then you know what's going to happen and so yeah it's pretty much it's pretty much ruined after that so i haven't seen a good yeah. movie in a long time <laughs> <laughs> do you mean you but, prefer one where the hero doesn't win i do actually i do <laughs> just because it's different mm. Be, because i mean in real life dude in real life the hero doesn't always win in fact i would say it's fairly it's probably pretty close to the hero uh losing the majority of the time um you know but it, yeah i just I, I think the hero winning all the time is is boring and it's not true to real life. And I prefer things to be closer to real life than mm. just crazy, obscure fantasies of what reality could be or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? I don't watch many movies. But really? I think I prefer ones that are uplifting, even really? though it is a bit trite. But I think I'd walk out feeling depressed if the hero dies. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it depends. Well, I, you know, the movie Armageddon, you know, uh, with Bruce Willis, uh, meteor coming to smash into Earth, and Bruce Willis dies, and, you know, he's the hero of the movie, he dies. But, I mean, it's, it's very uplifting. It's very heroic. It's very, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, that 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 is real life. Like, I could see that happening. So, yeah, hmm. I don't know. I guess I'm weird. Like, whatever. <laughs> so how many companies have you built so far there's been a couple that probably four or five the first three were abject failures and yeah, then the, normal. the last well the two before focus bear have done all right the the last two were a consulting company and then out of that consulting company i, I spun out a sms app that's the one that i sold recently 
So basically an app to help businesses to be able to send text messages to their customers. And that was acquired by a larger SMS company. And then the, the, the fit in with the consulting business there was that I was working with clients that were on Zoho CRM, which is a, a relatively popular customer relationship management system. And I found a lot of them were asking for the same kind of integration that they wanted something to do with SMS. And I was building it individually for them and saw that I could actually turn that individual integration that I was building custom made into their CRM into a product. And I think that's a really good way to approach building a product that if you hear a lot of people asking for it, that's a good validation that there might actually be market demand for turning it into a product. Right. Absolutely. hundred percent. Um, but so you talked about your first couple of businesses being abject failures. Um, are, are you, what, what lessons did you learn from, from those failures? The biggest learning is that you really have to build things that people want rather than just ideas that you have. That was why it didn't take off the ones in the past that, I had a, a carpooling business for runners and it was really a, a selfish idea that I wanted to be able to get to running events and I didn't have a car and my dad was sick of driving me there. <laughs> but there were some other people that it helped, but it wasn't ever going to be a huge market that the market of people going to fun runs is relatively small. It might've been maybe 20,000 people in total that would have an interest in using it. And it wasn't actually going to be able to support the development costs that went into it. And it's the kind of thing that you can tell right away by doing a, a desktop analysis of just thinking about it. How big is the market possibly going to be? Could it support what I'm trying to build and the costs involved? And I didn't really do that analysis. And I also didn't do it in a lean manner. That's the, the other big takeaway. There's this book, The Lean Startup by Eric mm -hmm. Reeves talks about how you have to test your idea in a, a cheap manner before you go and spend a lot of money building it in a, a more detailed way. And I did the opposite. I spent a lot of money hiring people and building a, a complicated mobile app before it actually demonstrated that it would work. And since then, I've done things in a, a cheaper way following the lessons from the Lean Startup, finding a way to actually validate whether people want it without building things first, just talking to people, finding out what, what are their problems and then basing the more detailed product based on that. So, I mean, do you, after saying all that, do you still want to say that your first companies were failures? They felt like failures at the time, especially because of the financial impact, but it's the kind of lesson that is hard to learn on paper. <laughs> I can say that and most people are still going to do the opposite because it feels unintuitive, especially if you're a software developer, for example, your bias is towards building things. Whereas people, it's actually better if you don't know how to code and you're trying to build a tech startup because it means you're going to have to actually talk to people more and find out exactly what they need before you build things. Right. So, yeah. And, right. and that's... Go ahead. It's almost like, even though it hurt at the time, it is my own personal MBA project of going through those values and learning what didn't work. 
Absolutely. And, and I think that's a key lesson that we've lost in society today is people don't know how to fail. And obviously you do because you learned from, from your two failures and, and now you've been able to create a successful business model uh, with, you know, successful aspects of it that you were able to sell, uh, you know, and I don't know the exact number and it doesn't matter, but I'm going to assume uh, at least six to seven figure uh, acquisition. And I mean, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty incredible when, when you think of where you, where you started, right? You started blowing a, a ton of money, losing mm -hmm. a ton of money, completely mm -hmm. falling on your face. And you're like, okay, well, that didn't work. I'm going to try this thing. And again, fell on your face. You're like, okay, that didn't work. Now let me take all the lessons I learned from my first two failures and apply them to this. And then that's that's where you found your your seven figure, uh, you know, or or bigger business. And, and that's yeah, I can't, I, I can't disclose the number, but yeah, it yeah, was yeah, a, of course, exit for me. Do what? It was a meaningful exit for me, and you're right that right. it is going through that process and learning what doesn't work can be part of it. My only advice would be try and fail, fail as cheaply as possible. <laughs> having 50 grand in credit card debt was quite difficult for me when I was in my early 20s and was finding it hard to hold down a job. It took me a few years to recover from that. So if you can find ways to test with a few hundred dollars, that's much better. <laughs> and, and yeah, it, it is much better. But think about it though, Jeremy. What that $50,000 credit card debt was the value of your lesson. Hmm. That yep. lesson may have not been as impactful if it was just a few hundred dollars. Hmm. Yeah, possibly. So, I mean, it, I, I think it's all, uh, you know, objective, you know, or not objective, just per, it's the perspective. It's what needs to happen. Um, I'm extremely stingy. So, you know, a few hundred dollars hurts me deeply. Um, $50,000 would probably crush me. But with that being said, I went into massive amount of debt to start my company. So, and I am constantly like paying attention to it because it really upsets me. I hate being in debt. So, <clears throat> um, you know, and hopefully, hopefully I don't have to learn your lesson. <laughs> But there, chances are I may. And the important, but the important takeaway is you learn your lesson and you get back up and you do it again. And eventually you find your success. It, it's not a matter of can I succeed? It's a matter of can you get back up enough times to succeed? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And finding, I guess, is the dimension of do you persevere with the current idea that you have because <clears throat> sometimes it can be that for example the earlier businesses i think could have actually gotten somewhere if i had persevered if i had found a way to slightly change the target market if i had gone from just runners to a broader population it could have potentially been a, a viable business but it, it needs to be possible to persevere without running out of money and without running out of energy 
So finding that way to, to keep on going when it makes sense and also be willing to drop it when it makes sense. Right, absolutely. So I want to shift focus a little bit um, because I, I find your, your story completely inspiring um, because Thanks. society will, will say that you have two very good reasons to not succeed. Right. And despite those reasons, you learn to channel them, turn them into superpowers and succeed. So we have listeners all over the world, um, you know, Europe, Asia, Africa, United States, Australia. I'm sure some of those listeners either themselves have these same struggles, whether it's ADHD um autism down syndrome um you know some other type of victim uh circumstance and they find themselves not being able to channel it or focus it what what words of encouragement do you have for for those people that want to be like not want to be like you, but want to find their version of success like you had. What what words of encouragement can you give them? The biggest thing for me is finding a community. I've found that really crucial for me of finding other people with autism and ADHD, hearing strategies that work for them. And that has helped to remove some of the the guilt and the, the blame that I felt of why have I done this again and the self-recrimination which is not very helpful and instead finding ways to very specifically deal with the challenges that I have in a way that the neurotypical population might not realize some of the things that are very challenging and that doesn't mean that they're they're not always going to be hard but it, it means that like you were saying, we don't have to be victims that give up. Instead, we can find specific ways to deal with the challenges that we have. And everyone has challenges. I imagine <clears throat> that there wouldn't be a, a single person on the population that does, doesn't have something that is difficult in their situation, whether it's caring for a family member who's sick or a, a, a difficult job or something about their health or their the way their brain works. And the key thing is that we don't let those adversities crush us that instead we find specific ways to to build on those skills and we can find those ways that if it's not clear by finding a community of other people and hearing from others who have specific coping strategies and not necessarily having to follow any one individual i think it it's challenging to to find advice that is globally relevant but trying a lot of things and finding what is going to work for you personally, experimenting, and hopefully that leads to being able to come out the other side with some coping strategies that actually make you stronger as a result of the adversity rather than the other way around. Uh, I think the last thing you said is, at least for me, is key, is you have to experiment. You have, dude, I can't even begin to tell you how many things haven't worked, right? To find the, the two or three things that do work for me, I had to try probably a hundred that didn't. Mm. And it's, it's insane actually, when you think about how many things I've tried, how many books I've read, um, all the things I've done to try to make myself 
I think initially I was trying to make myself be what I thought normal was. Hmm. And rather than, and then I got to the point again with, with like what you were talking about community mentors. Um, I got to the point to where I, it was like, no, wait a minute. I can actually harness this and be, and make it powerful, make it a tool for me rather than something wrong with me. I don't want to be normal anymore. So I, I absolutely, I agree 100%. And I really appreciate that last little nugget you shared of just don't be afraid to experiment and try to find your thing because what works for you probably isn't going to work for me. What works for me probably isn't going to work for someone else. Like you got to find your thing, your niche, and that's what's going to be powerful and help you. So absolutely. do what? Absolutely. There's the something, a unique set of coping strategies that are going to work perfectly for any one individual. Right on. So who inspires you? There's a, a couple of people. One is <clears throat> there's a community called MicroConf led by a guy called Rob Walling, who's a, a US-based entrepreneur. He's a, a software developer and he really pioneered the way for software developers to build little businesses. He had multiple himself and sold them and then has gone back and basically shown the way to other developers, helping them to figure out how to build, build businesses in a way that we aren't normally geared to, towards. I, I spoke earlier about the tendency for software developers to, to immediately build something rather than talking to people. Mm -hmm. He was very influential on me of doing it the other way of saying that that's not the right way to approach a business. And then some other people that I find inspiring. I'm a, a cross-country skier and there's a, a few skiers that I find really inspiring. For example, my biathlon coach, I think he's pretty cool. He's a a former Olympian, and I really like his approach to life and training. He'd do things like he'd at nighttime, he'd go and roller ski up this massive mountain and then go back down in the car the next day or that evening. And his commitment to hard work has been inspiring to me and very helpful with my own skiing journey. So, you are a marathon runner, a biathlon competitor, and a cross country skier. Yeah, I I haven't been doing as much biathlon recently, but I did enjoy doing it for a time. The it's quite a, a fun challenge of doing the cross country skiing and then all of a sudden stopping and trying to fire a, a rifle accurately at a target when your heart rate is really high. It, it's a lot harder than people think. Um, in the army, we used to do things like that. We would we'd go for a run and we would run to the range, shoot, and then run back. And yeah, when you, when your heart rate is elevated and your adrenaline is off the charts, it is really hard to be accurate um, sometimes. So it, it is much harder than, than people think it is, but that, that's pretty cool, man. So, well, we're uh, coming up on time, Jeremy. So I, I want to thank you first and foremost. Um, you're an inspiration. I've loved this conversation and um, you've brought a lot of value to myself and I know to my listeners and I really appreciate it. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, Likewise, before, it's been great being on the show. 
before before I let you go, I would like um, you to throw out your in info out there in case someone wants you to speak or uh, you know that they are in need of your services. Tell me tell me where or tell them where they can get a hold of you or find you on your socials or website or, or what what you got. Sure. Two places. One is my LinkedIn. If you search Jeremy Nagel in Melbourne, Australia, you'll find me there. And if you want to try out the Focus Bear app, it's at focusbear.io. And you can also email me via the contact page on the website. Fantastic. And of course, I am going to have uh, all of the links uh, to Jeremy and all his stuff. So make sure you go and give him plenty of love. Hit him up on LinkedIn as well. And uh, once you're done doing all that, make sure you go to renownedleadership.com. Check me out and give me some love too, because you know, people, I need all of the love. Um, and, and I meant to ask Jeremy, I forgot, what, what's the price range on um, uh, Focus Bear? The app is $5 per month. Oh, that's not bad at all. That's, that's, that's pretty cheap, actually. That's a lot cheaper than I was expecting. I like it. Um, and is, it, is there, are there, is there a free version people can try or is it? Yeah, there's a seven day free trial. Okay, awesome. Awesome, awesome. Okay, that's because that's important information. So anyway, so make sure you guys go and uh, download uh, Focus Bear, get a hold of that seven day free trial. Give it a try. I mean, it's a free trial. You have nothing to lose, people. And if it helps you, then, you know, we, we all need things. We all need the things that help us. Anyway, um, before I let you go, Jeremy, the last thing is my guests always get to share their final word of wisdom. And my final question is, what advice do you have to tell or to help people lead like champions? Lead like champions. I think the key thing is having being very clear on the why when you're asking people to do something. I found that's made a, a big difference to people actually doing what I would want them to do. That if I just say, can you do this? Then they're likely to, to not do it in a hurry and they're not likely to do it correctly. But if I give more context about why it's important that we do this, then all of a sudden the results are a lot better. People enjoy their work more and they have extra creativity. 100% I agree. Communication is always key. Communicate that why. I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you, Jeremy, so much for uh, for joining us today, man. It's been a pleasure. All right, everybody. So that's going to wrap up this week's episode of the Renowned Leadership Podcast. Again, don't forget to uh, scroll down in the show notes and check out Jeremy's stuff. And make sure you like, subscribe, thumbs up, rate, five-star, comment, Whatever platform you're on, do the thing. You know what to do. I don't need to tell you. I appreciate all the love you guys give me. Couldn't do it without you. And of course, in the meantime, until I see you next week, don't forget, lead like a champion. Goodbye, everybody. How I try to sleep, but you're deep in my mind. Got a hold of me. When I'm awake, I'm all blind. That's going to wrap up this week's episode of the Renowned Leadership Podcast. Thank you guys so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed listening to Jeremy. He's an incredible dude, a great person. Make sure you uh, check out his podcast, Focus and Chill. It's a great podcast, and I'm going to be a guest on his podcast soon. So uh, keep your eye out for that. And go ahead and head over to focusbear.io. Um, it's available for Windows and Mac. 
and they're also in beta right now for uh, Android and iOS. So you'll be able to get Focus Bear on your phone soon as well. Make sure you head over to focusbear.io. Check that out. Once you're done doing all that, head over to renownedleadership.com. Click book a call with me and uh, come hang out with me for an hour. And uh, let's just talk and chill, see what's going on. So that's going to wrap it up this week, uh, guys. Thank you so much for joining. As always, I will see you all next week. And in the meantime, never forget, lead like a champion. Goodbye. Everybody.